I believe in God, the Father Almighty, creator of heaven and earth. I believe in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, died, and was buried. On the third day he rose again, he ascended into heaven, he is seated at the right hand of the Father, and he will come to judge the living and the dead. I believe in the Holy Spirit, the Holy Catholic Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Amen. Greetings and salutations in the name of our Lord. I hope you're having a fabuloso day. Uh, you might hear some noise in the background. That would be my puppy. I'm on puppy duty this morning, and she's in the room with me. So if you hear her whining, I'm not beating my dog. She's just being a little crybaby. See? There you are. All right. So today we're going to continue on in Genesis chapter 34. And I'll be honest with you, I don't know a lot of what to make about it. Uh, because God isn't mentioned in the chapter. And we're seeing some of the uh, you sow the wind, you reap the whirlwind behavior going on in this family. Jacob sowed the wind and his sons are, well, they're proof that he probably wasn't the best father model growing up. But let's just get, let's just get to it and see what we got. Uh, first of all, just to put things in uh, a geographical uh, context, Esau, also known as Edom, settled south of his father Abraham. Now, Edom you see where I have Shechem. That's where Jacob ended up. Edom is further south than that. It's off the picture, actually. Uh, about Jacob ended up settling in Shechem. And Edom was about... The border of Edom was just about the bottom of this where this picture is. And that's where, uh, that's where Esau settled, away from uh, uh, Isaac. And you can see up here Paddan Aram, that's where Laban lived. And you can see the journey that Jacob uh, probably took to get to Shechem. Uh, it's about a 400-mile journey. Now, realize this. Esau came with an army of 400 men from off this picture, if you will, to meet, uh, to meet uh, Jacob somewhere in the middle uh, before they parted company again. So um, that just, uh, just kind of gives you a geographical look at, at, at about the journey. It's about a 400-mile journey that Jacob had to take from Laban's home to where he ended up settling in Shechem. All right, chapter 34. Now Dinah, the daughter Leah had born to Jacob, went out to visit the women of the land. When Shechem son of Hamor, the Hivite, the ruler of that area, saw her. He took her and raped her. His heart was drawn to Dinah, daughter of Jacob. He loved the young woman and spoke tenderly to her. And Shechem said to his father Hamor, get me this girl as my wife. All right, I don't get it. I don't understand it. He rapes her, then says he loves her. <sighs> when Jacob heard that his daughter Dinah had been defiled, 
His sons were in the fields with his livestock, so he did nothing about it until they came home. Then Shechem's father Hamor went out to talk with Jacob. Meanwhile, Jacob's sons had come in from the field. As soon as they heard what had happened, they were shocked and furious because Shechem had done an outrageous thing in Israel by sleeping with Jacob's daughter, a thing that should not be done. This was not mutual between Dinah and and, uh, uh, Shechem. Shechem raped her and apparently kept her at his house. That should tell you something about the attitude of the people that were surrounding Jacob. Um, They didn't think much of him. They could take his daughter. They could rape her, keep her at their house. But Hamor said to them, My son Shechem has his heart set on your daughter. Please give her to him as his wife. Intermarry with us. Give us your daughters and take our daughters for yourselves. You can settle among us. The land is open to you. Live in it, trade in it, and acquire property in it. He wanted... Jacob's family to intermingle and be drawn into their culture. Now, on the face of it, this doesn't seem like such a bad deal. He's going to live there anyway. He's going to trade there, buy property there. Uh, And uh, so if his sons were to marry from women from that culture that would bring the two peoples together, everybody would benefit, everybody would be stronger. It kind of looks on the surface like... Maybe he's offering an alliance with him. I don't know. And Shechem said to Dinah's father and brothers, let me find favor in your eyes and I will give you whatever you ask. Make the price for the bride and the gift I'm to bring as great as you like and I'll pay whatever you ask me. Only give me the young woman as my wife. Now, because their sister Dinah had been defiled, Jacob's sons replied deceitfully. Hmm, where have we heard the word deceitfully before? Hmm, Jacob, the deceiver. Jacob's sons replied deceitfully as he spoke to Shechem and his father Hamor. They said to them, We can't do such a thing. We can't give our sister to a man who is not circumcised. That would be a disgrace to us. We will enter into an agreement with you on one condition only, that you become like us by circumcising all your males. Then we will give you our daughters and take your daughters for ourselves. We'll settle among you and become one people with you. But if you will not agree to be circumcised, we'll take our sister and go. Now, this is not Jacob talking. This is not Jacob setting the bargain. These are his sons. His sons are letting these people think that they're going to become one people with Jacob's descendants. uh, But they just need everybody to be circumcised. You have to do because that's a custom of ours. Um, the proposal seemed good to Hamer and his son Shechem. The young man, who was the most honored of all his father's family, lost no time in doing what they said because he was delighted with Jacob's daughter after he raped her. Oh. So Hamer and his son Shechem went to the gate of their city to speak to the men of their city. These men are friendly toward us, they said. Let them live in our land and trade in it. The land has plenty of room for them. We can marry their daughters and they can marry ours. But the men will agree to live with us as one people, not only on the condition that our males be circumcised as they themselves are. Now, here's a window into their hearts. Won't their livestock and their property and all their other animals become ours? So let us agree to their terms and they will settle among us. So their plan 
was to conquer Jacob's clan but through assimilation. Have them marry into their daughter, marry their daughters, marry into their families, and just kind of blend into what's already going on there. They wanted Jacob's family to get lost in the middle of theirs. Their ultimate plan is domination. That's how they thought of Jacob, which would explain why they would rape one of Jacob's uh, daughters. Mm. All the men who went out of the city agreed with Hamor and his son Shechem, and every male in the city was circumcised. Now, for a grown man to be circumcised is incredibly painful, and it would take more, it would take a few days to recover from that surgery. Three days later, while all of them were still in pain, two of Jacob's sons, Simeon and Levi, Dinah's brothers, took their swords and attacked the unsuspecting city, killing every male. They put Hamor and his son Shechem to the sword and took Dinah from Shechem's house and left. The sons of Jacob came upon the dead bodies and looted the city where their sister had been defiled. They seized their flocks and herds and donkeys and everything else of theirs in the city and out in the fields. They carried off all their wealth and all their women and children, taking as plunder everything in the houses. Then Jacob said to Simeon and Levi, You have brought trouble on me by making me obnoxious to the Canaanites and Perizzites, the people living in this land. We are few in number. And if they join forces against me and attack me, I and my household will be destroyed. But they replied, Should he have treated our sister like a prostitute? Jacob's not in control here. Jacob does not control his sons. In a way, I'm not surprised at the actions of Jacob's sons. For most of their lives, you think about it, they saw only Jacob the deceiver while they were growing up in in Laban's land. The new Jacob, Israel, was not the Jacob who influenced their behavior as they were growing from boys to men. As their father did, so did they. Deception was a calling card. The God that God was that the God of their father was not their God is evidenced by the fact that they took this sacred rite of circumcision, and it is a sacred thing to them, and used it as a mere tool for revenge. You know, it's sometimes uh, I'm grateful that when I became a Christian, I became a Christian before my children were born. And that they did not have to be raised by the page who was the page he was before he became a Christian. Um, all they saw was a father working hard to follow after Christ. That's all they saw. But Jacob's sons, they grew up seeing their father deceive and being deceived. They saw their father connive and trick. They saw their grandfather connive and trick. That's what they grew up knowing. And nothing was out of bounds for them, obviously, since they used this circumcision as a trick uh, in order to kill all the men. And what's sad to me is in this passage, Jacob makes no mention of God. Now, Jacob's been changed. He's had this life-changing experience with God the Father. And now he's been called Israel. And yet, his response was, 
if they attack me, I'll be destroyed. So his faith in God was still in its infancy. And his sons are out of control. And unfortunately, I see that in so many uh, examples that I've seen growing up. We always make fun of preacher's kids um, being so out of control and ill-behaved and things of that nature. Um, Jacob is just a man. But his children are out of control and they committed murder. Now, what should they have done? Their sister had been raped. Well, there should have been something done. But I'm not sure that what they did was right, that mass murder of an entire town because of one man's action against their sister. Now, we, like I said, we see their heart we see their heart when, they, when, they, when they're planning against Jacob and his family, saying, look, all their stuff's going to become ours. Let's just do this little thing, get circumcised, and realize that within a generation, everything that Jacob has will be ours. And they'll be blended into us, and nobody will ever be able to tell that Jacob was ever here. I mean, that's really what they're saying. They're going to pull Jacob's clan in into their lifestyle. They're not going to adapt to Jacob's lifestyle of following Jehovah, they are expecting to swallow up Jacob into their lifestyle. And, you know, there's a parallel there in the way the world treats us. The world is continually chasing after us believers to make us adapt to their way of doing business. The world is not going to adapt. The world is not going to change the way they live to line up with the way we live as Christians. They want the Christians to line up with the way the world lives. Uh, An ongoing discussion between me and my uh, musician friends often deals with the question of, uh, should the church be the gatekeeper for the culture? In other words, should we be the gate through which cultural change comes? Or should we chase after the culture of the day to keep our religion relevant to the world around us? It's a danger at the music we see in our churches sometimes. There's some churches that just uh, adapt their music to reflect today's pop rock orientation because they want to become relevant to a younger group of people, thinking that if they adapt themselves and adopt the world standards for music, that that's going to bring people in who will be drawn to God. It never works that way. When we adopt the world's culture as our own in order to appear relevant, um, we lose. We We just end up looking like the world and not like a follower of God. That's what's going on here. Jacob's sons grew up under the influence of Laban and Jacob the deceiver. They knew deception. They knew violence. Um, they were not. They were not of God. Their father's new conversion apparently 
didn't have much of an effect on them. And we're going to see when we get to chapter 49, where just before Jacob dies, he gives out his final blessings to all his children. And um, Simeon and Levi don't fare well. Their blessing comes off looking like a curse. So this is a difficult chapter for me. Like I said, it wasn't, uh, God's not mentioned in it. And we're seeing the sad result of a father who taught his children to deceive through his lifestyle, through his life choices. And he gets saved. He becomes a, a believer later in life. And that does not impact his sons who are now grown men. So take that as you will. Um, I think it's a, uh, it's a warning to those of us with small children. They learn to live by watching the way their father lives and the way their mother lives. So if you have small children, take that into consideration. What you do and what you say have long-reaching consequences. All right. Well, like I said, I'm on puppy duty, so I've got to go. That's enough for today. It's a short chapter, and uh, I'm a little bummed at Jacob and his sons right now. We'll see what happens tomorrow when we get to chapter 35. Thanks for showing up, folks. Here's my coffee. I'm Paige, and I am out of here. God's thoughts are not our thoughts. Neither should my thoughts be your thoughts. You need to think for yourself.